Good Wednesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. The platform of influence for a 300,000-person market is the platform you are watching or listening to right now. Today's show has conversation that is real, raw, authentic, and frankly, it might make you uncomfortable. But it comes from a perspective of authenticity and what is best for the community. We feature Charlottesville and Central Virginia through a lens of an entrepreneur, a man who sees glasses as half full, but a guy that's not going to beat around the bush. Some folks have said blunt to a fault, tenacious to a fault. Those qualities have served me well in business. Those qualities don't always serve you well in um, in other aspects, but certainly from a professional standpoint, they have. Um, I want to give some props to Scott Wagner of Integrated Medicine. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner's got your back. Locally owned and operated practice. Dr. Wagner and Kristen are crushing it. I want to give some props to David Trecarici, Skuma Boutique Dispensary. He was real, raw, and honest in yesterday's interview. I highlighted the day in the life of a downtown mall merchant on yesterday's program. That interview archived on ilovesevil.com. What startled me from the interview that we did with David Trecarici, he's paying out of pocket for an armed security guard at Skuma because he wants to add an additional level of safety in downtown Charlottesville. An additional level of safety he wants to add. And he's paying out of pocket over $160,000 a year to have an armed security guard at Skuma Boutique Dispensary to help create a a, um, perception of safety value proposition for customers and to help combat the aggressive panhandling, the mental health crisis, the drug addiction, the alcohol addiction, and the aggressive panhandling that is on the eight blocks in downtown Charlottesville called the Downtown Mall. I'm going to give you that number again. He literally, on the record on yesterday's show, said, I'm taking over $160,000 a year in company profits. Excuse me, company revenue. Company revenue. And I'm allocating it to paying an armed guard on site 80 hours a week. I want you to think about that, ladies and gentlemen. That statistic really boggled my mind. I'm going to give you the headlines on today's show. One of the valued viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show, he suggested to me that the Wells Fargo investment into Roanoke to the tune of $87 million that's going to create 1,100 new jobs should be a topic of conversation on the show. He also suggested to me that we can compare and contrast the $87 million Wells Fargo investment into Roanoke with the $11 billion with the B investment into Amazon by Amazon into Louisa County. The $11 billion Amazon investment is going to create roughly 1,000 incremental or new jobs for Louisa and the surrounding areas. The $87 million investment from Wells Fargo and Roanoke is going to create roughly the same amount of jobs, 1,100. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it a step farther. And I'm going to ask you, the viewer and listener, this question. Why are the city of Charlottesville and why is Albemarle County, Charlottesville City and Albemarle County, not earning these kinds of investments from Wells Fargo and Amazon. I want your takes. Put your takes in the feed right now. I want to talk about Tent Town. Sam Sanders, the city manager of Charlottesville, has undoubtedly made a monumental blunder 
by lifting the curfew in Market Street Park. And ladies and gentlemen, we have our first reported crime. The Charlottesville Police Department issues a press release minutes ago, and the Charlottesville Police Department is doing a fantastic job communicating with citizens. Its comms director, Kyle Irvin, is a rock star. This just released. Charlottesville Police Department is seeking information regarding Market Street Park stabbing. The stabbing occurred early Sunday morning, September 24th, between the hours of 1.30 a.m. and 3.30 a.m. Police officers were dispatched to UVA Medical Center for a report of a victim who had suffered several stab wounds. The victim is currently in stable condition, and this is not believed to be a random attack. Tent Town on Market Street, will it evolve into Hooverville, a moniker for the homeless encampments and the shack towns during the Great Depression? Judah will provide a couple of paragraphs of insight in color on Hooverville which coincided with President Herbert Hoover's term and the onset of the Great Depression. Is Tent Town the first stage of not Hooverville, but Whoville? That question on today's talk show, The I Love Seville Show. I want to chitter-chatter Tony Elliott choosing... Tony Musket, instead of Anthony Calandria as his starting quarterback, this absolutely boggles my mind. You have a first year with Moxie and upside and Anthony Calandria, who is about to become your record-setting quarterback from a first-year or freshman perspective. He's about to rewrite the freshman quarterback record, records and record books. And the skipper, Tony Elliott, who's in his second year, who's... Job status is sizzling hot. The fan base is splintered on Tony Elliott. He chooses to start a quarterback that's played a handful of snaps in week one against Tennessee instead of riding the momentum of Moxie and star power with Anthony Calandria. This could be the, the early stage of Anthony Calandria transferring from the program. And I'm going to ask you this question. If Tony Elliott wins two games tops... In 2023, two games tops this year. The head coach, if he wins two games total in 2023 and Anthony Calandria transfers from the program because he feels disrespected or slighted, does Tony Elliott save his job? That topic on today's show. Rory Stolzenberg, the planning commissioner, is going to join us October 5th on the program. Rory Stolzenberg, a man of intellect, a well-read man, a man that knows the zoning code and the draft zoning ordinance inside and out. He'll join us October 5th, so send me your questions, your comments for Commissioner Stolzenberg. They've got to be respectful. I don't think Commissioner Stolzenberg minds being challenged, but the questions and commentary must follow the golden rule. Ladies and gentlemen. Before I talk Wells Fargo and $87 million, 1,100 new jobs for Roanoke. Before I talk $11 billion, Amazon, Louisa County, 1,000 new jobs. And before I compare and contrast the Star City investment from Wells Fargo with the Louisa County $11 billion from Amazon and ask you the question, why 
Are Charlottesville and Albemarle County not earning these kinds of multi-million, tens of millions, 11 billion, 87 million dollar investments? I want to tell a, tell a, recount a story of the first negotiation I ever lost. And the reason I recount this story about the first negotiation that I ever lost, I am highlighting this story because I have learned more from my failures than my successes. I am one of those guys that hates losing more than he likes winning. And I think there's a lot of people out there that understand that mindset. Hating to lose more than you actually like winning. And I go with that mindset and I rock with that mindset, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, whether it's trying to set PRs when I'm running or lifting weights. I hate losing more than I like winning. And here's the story. I'll take about two minutes to tell you this story. And the reason I'm going to offer you this perspective is the glimmer of opportunity that accompanies failure. You may not see it in the moment, but when you reflect with the benefit of hindsight, you will find you learn more from your failures than your successes. I'm sitting at Jack and Jill's on High Street after hours, after the diner, which is owned by a Greek man named Zanis, has closed. Jack and Jill's known for foot-long hot dogs, diner food, crushed ice, a family-friendly restaurant, an icon on High Street. I'm in one of the back booths of the dining room of Jack and Jill's. The year is circa 2010, so 13 years ago. I have no commercial real estate acquisitions in my portfolio, but I'm looking for an office for my business that's growing quickly and VMV brands. We're two and a half years into the business, and we had already outgrown my home office in the villas at Southern Ridge, which was 95 square feet, a home office that had a desk that was two filing cabinets with a door slab on top of the two filing cabinets. Judah, two shot. Let's weave you into the mix. Do you remember when you first started working at this business, coming to my condo, the den or the office at the Villas at Southern Ridge, and you working atop a door slab rested on top of two filing cabinets. Oh, yeah. To say it was tiny is an understatement. No doubt. From there, we went to where? What do you remember? Uh, let's see. From there, we went to the uh, <clears throat> second floor of the, um, of the South Street Brewery. Bingo. From the condo office at the Villas at Southern Ridge down 5th Street Extended, we go to a 100-square-foot office above South Street Brewery. This particular office was affordable and at the time was managed by Paul Mulberg of Silvergate Realty. The problem with this office was it was extremely small. He and I were basically working on top of each other. The brewery below it while it offered fantastic specials and a great opportunity to get cold beer during the workday, 
the smells from the brewery would radiate through the second floor, impacting quality of life in the office. It especially is, on Thursday. Especially on Thursday and Friday. Also, especially on Tuesday, when at the time beers were only $2 at South Street Brewery. There was a train. The train tracks are adjacent to the building. So anytime the train would hum through the tracks right next to the building, the building would shake and rattle and be incredibly noisy. You remember that? Yep. And as I was welcoming a client or, heaven forbid, two to three clients at one time to our office, we could not sit down in the space. It was that small. Two, two people could barely fit in there. So after six months of being at South Street Brewery, not even six months, you know where we went, Judah? Uh, to the, uh, I don't know, I forget what the building is called, but it's uh, right in the corner across from, um, across from what's now Passiflora. Commonwealth Sky Bar at the time, the professional center, the building right next to, on the same side of the road as Passiflora and Commonwealth Sky Bar, I believe United Bank, the anchor tenant of Bill Nichman's The Professional Center. We spent 18 months there. I shared a wall, our office, Judah, Maggie, myself, Brian Yagel, a couple of other folks in this office. We shared a wall with the owner of the building, Bill Nichman, my mentor, who at the peak of his portfolio had, I'd say, probably $250 million in commercial real estate of ownership and his fingertips, playing Monopoly. Fantastic guy to learn from for 18 months. Bill Nichman, in fact, introduced me to Zanice, the Greek man that owns Jack and Jill's. He also owns the building and I believe the restaurant Milan on Route 29. So Bill Nichman, my mentor, says to me, Jerry, you're clearly outgrowing this space. Have you considered owning real estate and housing your office in a space that you own, which you can then basically build equity in accrue equity as opposed to paying rent? I said, that's a damn good idea. I said, how does a 27-year-old, 28-year-old get into commercial real estate ownership? He says, well, Jerry, you need to find somebody to sell you a property. Let's go to a one-shot. And he introduces me to Zanice, his buddy that owns Jack and Jill's on High Street. And Bill would always go to Jack and Jill's for lunch. I go over for a foot-long hot dog Put some ketchup on there, a little mustard. Get some french fries. I get a soda with the crushed ice. Who doesn't love good crushed ice? And I said, Zanice, after I paid him, cash only at Jack and Jill's, no cards. Little trick of the trade there. I say, Zanice, I'm interested in buying that storefront you have right past Commonwealth Sky Bar. That storefront on the side road, what road is that? Is that 2nd Street, the one right off Water Street? One of the storefronts in the Holsinger building that came with one parking spot, kind of behind mm. the melting pot. Is that second? That would be that way. I think that's fifth. Is that fifth? See if you can figure that out, what, the, <clears throat> what that street is. It's the street. side street where Commonwealth Sky Bar is on. At the time, Willow yeah. Tree was on that side street. So there was a storefront there. Brian Yago, you remember, you remember that office in the professional center next to the Sky Bar? 
I used to look outside that office at the professional center. We were on the third floor, and I'd be able to look across the way at happy hour as the beautiful bartenders were getting ready, the, getting the upstairs bar ready for cocktail and happy hour. And I look out my window and see these smoking hot blondes getting the bar ready. It's Fifth Street Southeast. Fifth Street Southeast. So I go, you know what? I'm going to give up this beautiful perch where I get to see these smoking hot blondes out my window bringing ice up from the kitchen all the way to the sky bar to get it ready for cocktail hour. I'm going to give it up because I want to own something. And I said, Bill, how does a 28-year-old get into owning something? He goes, well, find somebody to sell you something, Jerry. He's very blunt. Blunt like me. Maybe that's partially where I get it from. He said, find somebody to sell you something. I'm like, okay. My network then was not what my network is now. If you're making a deal, if you're in the deal-making business, there's no one that knows more people that want to make deals or deploy capital in 300,000-person market than yours truly. And that's a fact. But at the time, I didn't have the depth and network. It's taken me 23 years to build this network. So I'm sitting at Jack and Jill's over a foot long, some fries, some crushed ice soda, and saying, Zanice, I want to buy that storefront that you have in the back of Melting Pot on 5th Street Southeast in the Holsinger building. And he goes, hmm, it's currently empty. And he speaks in very broken English, understands everything, it's a little difficult to understand when speaking, though. Very smart man, Zanice, cash-rich man, lives in Glenmore, where I live now. And I said... What can I do to buy this? And this is what he said. Come back in two days. Wait until we close so I can give you my personal attention. Meet me at 9 p.m. at Jack and Jill's. Knock on the front door three times. Wait 10 seconds and knock on the front door three times again. So it's rat. Wait 10 seconds. And then Zanice shows up. After I knocked three times, waited 10 seconds, and knocked three times again, he shows up from the back of the house in the kitchen. He unlocks the door and says, follow me. We go to the back booth. Zanice is smoking Greek cigarettes. It's cloudy. It's smoky. I have a hard time breathing. I'm 28, maybe 27. I sit in the back booth, and he says, one of my colleagues is going to come join me. He speaks better English than me, and he's my friend, and I trust him. Three knocks on the door. Ten seconds of waiting, and three more knocks on the Jack and Jill's front door. Zanice then gets up from the back booth, which was hidden from the storefront door, and opens the door. And you know who trots into Jack and Jill's? After hours, in a dining room clouded with Greek cigarette smoke, none other than Dr. Charles Hurt. Dr. Charles Hurt. Hurt of Virginia Land Company. Dr. Charles Hurt, who would often brag to anyone who would listen, you can't enter Albemarle County or leave Albemarle County without seeing a piece of property that I own. 
Dr. Charles Hurt, who at one time was one of the most prestigious and prolific developers in Central Virginia. Virginia Land Company, Dr. Charles Hurt, look it up. Now, he's fallen on some tough financial times of late. That often happens when you're overextended and market dynamics change quickly. Frank Bailiff of Southern Development learned from Dr. Charles Hurt. Frank Bailiff, Charlie Armstrong in Southern, one of the most prolific local developers in the Central Virginia market. So Dr. Hurt walks to the back booth. Zanice is sitting in front of me. Dr. Hurt is sitting in front of me. 27, 28-year-old Jerry is sitting across the way wearing rainbow sandals, a button-down Brooks Brothers that's untucked, and probably cargo shorts. My hair was much taller then. A lot of moose, if you may. And then we get a piece of napkin out. Zanice literally pulls out a napkin from the napkin dispenser on the booth. And he pulls out a pen like this and a napkin. And he says, here's the napkin, here's the pen. What do you want to pay for this unit? It's a condo unit in the Halsinger building. I looked at the assessment on the GIS. I effing love the GIS. I'm on the GIS and the MLS all the time. The GIS, you can find out who knows what how much they paid for it when they bought it. And you can see financing exposure if they have any, if you're good at interpreting data. So I look at the GIS, I look at the assessment, and I'm like, you know what? I th- the assessment says it's this. I'll offer you this. And it was like 10% below assessment. The property was vacant. He was paying taxes on it, insurance on it. He wasn't collecting rent. He was paying an electric bill. He was paying a water bill. He was paying a marketing expense. He was earning no monthly income. Of course I'm going to come in 10% below market. I write the number down on a napkin. I pass it to Zanice. Zanice looks at the napkin and then shows it to Dr. Charles Hurt. Heavy hitter, Dr. Charles Hurt at this time. Dr. Charles Hurt has a blue blazer on with gold buttons one of the buttons was missing. He was wearing his tie at half mask, not all buttoned up the collar, tied down around this point of his chest. His tie had a mustard stain on it. Dr. Hurt had a hole in his Oxford button-down shirt. His khakis were a bit ratty, and his shoes were a a bit beat up. And it's a quintessential example of when you have money, You don't have to flash it. Oftentimes, the people that pull up to the projects or where the deals are done are pulling up in cars that are beat up. Old money doesn't flash money. New money flashes money. Old money has no need to flash it. Dr. Hurt didn't look flashy. Missing gold button on his blue blazer, mustard stain on his tie, hole in his button-down Oxford shirt, ratty khaki pants, and shoes that were scuffed up left and right. Dr. Hurt and Zanice look at the napkin. They whisper something to each other in the booth. They cross out my number and they pass it back to me. The number they give me is 10% above assessment. So I knew we were going to make a deal. I start 10% below assessment. They counter 10% above assessment. We pass the napkin back and forth and we settle at assessment price. We dot and signature the napkin. We date it and we signature the napkin with the price circled. And Dr. Hurt goes like this. 
Now that's how you make a deal, boys. And next thing I know, Zanice goes to the back of the house to the kitchen. And Zanice pulls out Greek liquor bottle called Uzo. And he takes three Dixie cups, the small Dixie cups that you use to rinse your mouth at toothpaste time. No, put a little water in there. And he pours Uzo into the cup for all of us. Each of us get a little bit of Uzo. I'm drinking this Uzo, and it is effing nasty. And I'm doing my best not to show that the Uzo is gross because I want to be a man and drink this with these icons. Long story short, I thought I had a deal on that night. But what I didn't realize was Zanice's partner in this piece of commercial real estate was his daughter, and she won present. And Zanice said yes to a deal on a piece of napkin with negotiation, and then she came back and kiboshed it and said, I don't want to sell it. I may do something with it. And that's how my first negotiation fell through. I did the deal the right way in the booth with the heavy hitter and Dr. Charles Hurd. I did the deal in the right way with the seller of a property and came to a fair price, a win-win deal where we both leave the table thinking we've won. But I didn't do my homework in realizing that there was a minority partner and normally minority partners don't have the influence that a daughter does over her father. And from that point forward, I learned a lesson. When I do a deal, I'm going to know every party involved. I'm going to understand the personality dynamics of every party involved and how those dynamics may impact me winning or losing a deal. I was 27, 28 years old at the time. I didn't think a minority partner who owned 49% of a piece of real estate would have that much influence but the daughter of a father certainly did. And the point of this story is you're going to always learn more in failures than you will in successes. Always. Don't take a failure as a reason to hang your head. Instead, take it as a way and opportunity to learn to make the next deal even better for you. Now, I want to talk deal-making in the Star City, Roanoke, Virginia. Wells Fargo is investing $87 million into Roanoke. The financial services company investment will allow room for the creation of approximately 1,100 jobs and enhance the working experience for more than 1,650 other employees. This $87 million investment into Roanoke will modernize and expand its customer support center in Roanoke County, Virginia. 1,100 incremental new jobs for the Star City. I'm going to compare and contrast this 1,100 new jobs and this $87 million investment with what Louisa County is doing and with what Amazon is doing in Louisa County. Amazon is investing $11 billion, $11 billion with a B, into Louisa across two data campuses. 
I talked to a friend that's on the board of supervisors off the record, and he anticipates 1,000 direct and indirect new jobs tied to this data investment, $11 billion to Louisa. And before I go further, I want to say this. I want to give props to Roanoke for getting the incremental job growth and $87 million from Wells Fargo. And I want to give props to Louisa for getting $11 billion and roughly 1,000 new jobs. I'm going to start by giving props where props is due. But after I do that, which I just did, I'm going to ask you this question. Ladies and gentlemen, why are Charlottesville City and why is Albemarle County not competing and contending and earning this kind of incremental job growth business? I'm going to ask you, the viewer and listener, that comment. Why is Albemarle County, in your opinion, not earning this type of investment? Why is City of Charlottesville not earning this type of investment? This was a topic provided by one of our valued viewers and listeners. I'm going to give my take. I'll ask Judah for his take in a matter of moments on a two-shot. Here's my take. Charlottesville City and Albemarle County, first, the housing crisis has become so severe that finding a place to live, even if you're making the HUD average income per household 123300 you're still struggling to find a place to buy. And big companies aren't going to invest tens of millions, hundreds of millions, $11 billion into jurisdictions that cannot house their staff and their employees. Big companies will not bet their future, leverage their future on jurisdictions that cannot accommodate their staff. The housing crisis is severe and real. And it's not just impacting frontline workers, nurses, teachers, firemen, police officers, rescue workers. The housing crisis is impacting white-collar jobs and deep six-figured salaried households. That's how severe this crisis is. $123,300 is now chump change for household income if you're trying to buy a crib. Second, Charlottesville, Virginia's, and Albemarle County's political climates, Charlottesville's in particular, has become extremely well-documented. Charlottesville, how many people feel this way, has turned into crazy town? How many people are asking, what's in the water? What's, what gases are emitting from the ground or below the surface that are turning some of the people in this community into Looney Tunes, into bananas, into nuts, into caricatures of their former selves. Who asks that question every day? I do. And the crazy thing is, is local government, Charlottesville City in particular, it's the phrase cowtailing. I don't know. 
When you kowtow to a, a group of people, you're influenced by them? Kowtow. Kowtowing? Yeah. Charlottesville government is kowtowing to the minority. And I got so many examples for you. Exhibit A, Tent Town on Market Street Park. And I'm going to ask you this question. Is Tent Town about to turn into Hooverville? Do you have some color, some commentary, or some background on Hooverville for us? Judah Wickhauer on a two-shot. Tell us about Hooverville during the Great Depression. Uh, well, the Hooverville was the common term for shack towns and homeless encampments during the Great Depression. There were dozens just in the state of Washington and hundreds throughout the country uh, going to show that uh, the housing crisis was really bad along with the employment crisis in the early 1930s. Hooverville, a play on President Herbert Hoover's last name. Yeah. Is Tent Town the first stage of not Hooverville, but instead Whoville? And is Whoville no longer what Dr. Seuss depicted in children's stories read at bedtime, but instead is Whoville a homeless encampment? And ladies and gentlemen, late last week, newly minted city manager Sam Sanders lifted the curfew of Lee Park, Emancipation Park, Freedom Park, Market Street Park, and said, there are no laws, there is no curfew, neutering the police of the leverage they have to actually hold people accountable in the park. The leverage the police had was the curfew. When you remove that curfew, you neuter the police and say, you know what? We no longer have that leverage of curfew. They can sleep here and do whatever they want. So we have to leave this area unpoliced and unprotected. What's that going to breed? Lawlessness. And on Sunday morning, between the hours of 1.30 a.m. and 3.30 in the morning, when the park should have been cleared, when the park literally should be empty because the curfew was 11 or 11.30 p.m. Instead, no curfew, a stabbing happened. This particular individual who was stabbed rushed to the hospital. Kevin Higgins sends this press release to me. Kyle Irvin, the fabulous comms director, issues the press release minutes before the show. The police investigating a knife stabbing. The victim, several stab wounds to his body. Blood oozing from the wounds. Rush to UVA Medical Center. What did Sam Sanders think was going to happen? Now I read, because I read all the media outlets... A local attorney with some panache, some pedigree, and some prestige. He's going to appreciate me saying that. Scott Goodman, interviewed by CBS 19. Scott Goodman, interviewed by CBS 19, asked this question. Is Sam Sanders, the city manager, setting a precedent for every park in the city? He's lifted the curfew on Market Street Park. 
Does that mean the curfew is now lifted at other parks? Will Tent Town fall, follow Tonsler Park? Will Tent Town follow Star Hill Park? Will Tent Town follow... Give me some other park names in this town. McIntyre Park. If you lift the curfew for Market Street Park, does that set a precedent for Greenleaf Park, for Penn Park, for Riverview Park, for Forest Hills Park, for McGuffey Park? In less than a week, Tent Town has gone from four to five tents to over a dozen tents. In less than a week, someone has gotten stabbed repeatedly. In less than a week, graffiti and trash and liquor and beer bottles are piling up. Is Tent Town the early stage of not Hooverville, but Whoville? And is Whoville the 2023 moniker for chaos and lawlessness? And you wonder why Fortune 100 and Fortune 200 and Fortune 300 businesses won't invest $87 million to improve a call center which births 1,100 new jobs, Wells Fargo, Roanoke, Star City. And you wonder why Amazon won't take $11 billion, 11 with a B, and invest it into Charlottesville and Almaro County, instead pump that money into Louisa and a thousand new jobs created across two business campuses by Amazon. You wonder why they're not pumping that money into Almaro and Charlottesville? Well, I want Charlottesville and Almaro, Charlottesville in particular, to look itself in the mayor. You know what the average wage for those Wells Fargo 1,100 new jobs was? $52,000. These were jobs for middle-class America. These are jobs not for data experts or biotech experts or hedge fund titans. No. These were jobs for people that were middle-class, $52,000 average wage for those 1,100 jobs in Star City, Wells Fargo. Many of those jobs, with Amazon and $11 billion, middle-class jobs, Charlottesville City needs to look itself in the mirror and it starts at City Hall with the CEO of the city and his name is Sam Sanders. And when you do the type of governing that leads to tent towns and to stabbings and to lawlessness and to Whoville, you have businesses choosing to take their money to other jurisdictions. And I don't care what anybody says. This is my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. If people think the draft zoning ordinance is going to breed any kind of housing affordability, you guys are huffing glue. That DZO is going to make stuff more opportunistic and more expensive. And it's going to coincide at the same time of high interest rates, a labor shortage, and cost of goods going through the roof. Investors are going to buy up land because of zoning opportunity, and they're going to expect significant return on their investment. It might create some more supply, but that supply ain't going to be cheap. And you know where this zoning opportunity and this new supply is going to be created? It's going to be created next to marginalized neighborhoods, 10th and Page, next to marginalized neighborhoods, Fifeville, and it's going to be created in floodplains like the Rivanna River on High Street. 
It ain't going to be created on Park Street. It's not going to be created on Rugby Road. It's not going to be created in Barracks Road or the Blue Ridge neighborhood. It's not going to be created in North Downtown and Greenbrier and Johnson Village and Belmont. It won't be created in the wealthy hoods. It's going to be created in the marginalized hoods. Mark it down. Because that's the easiest path to assemblage. Assemblage is buying plots of land adjacent or contiguous to each other. And when you do assemblage, you do it at rates that are price conscious. Mark it down. Man stabbed in Whoville. Man stabbed Judah in Tent Town. Two shot Wickower, J-Dubs, known up and down the eastern seaboard as a man of reason. Stabbed in Whoville. Stabbed in Tent Town. Is that blood on Sam Sanders' hands? 1.30 a.m. to 3.30 in the morning. Is the blood on the city manager's hands? I, I think that's not too unfair. Um, you, what does not too unfair mean? <laughs> I mean, I don't It's really, either yes or no. I don't think it's on his hands. I think... Uh, so a man who lifts a curfew, within a couple of days of lifting the curfew, 72 hours after lifting a curfew, a homeless man is stabbed re- repeatedly between 1.30 a.m. and 3.30 in the morning when no one was allowed in the park 72 hours before. That blood's not on the city manager's hands. No, I don't think so. I, I think uh, there's a chain of events that uh, certainly looks, certainly doesn't look good, but uh, that could have easily happened anywhere else. And I, I wouldn't have happened in the park between one thirty and three thirty, seven to two hours before. You're right. It would probably wouldn't have happened in the park, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't have happened. Is Tent Town the early stages of Whoville? Uh, it's. It's growing, and uh, from what I hear... When we broke this news, we were the first to talk about it. Now it's all over the news cycle. It's all over Reddit. It's all over the TV stations. It's all over the newspaper. It's all over everywhere. We broke this news. We showed a picture. You took the picture yourself with your iPhone. We put it on screen. Now it's the talk of the town. It was going to be no matter what. When we showed the picture... No, Judah. It's the influence of the program. Until you realize the influence you have on this talk show, you're not holding responsibility... You're not carrying yourself the right way when it comes to the platform and the influence you have. So you think that if we hadn't mentioned this, that people would just ignore it? I see the media outlets watching the show, and I know the media outlets are 22-year-old children fresh out of college reporting the news, sourcing the news from someone who has institutional memory, us. I've been covering news in this community for 23 damn years. There's no one more connected when it comes to this kind of business than than me. Those are facts. 23 years. Find me a reporter in Charlottesville in Central Virginia with that kind of institutional memory. I will give you them. I can count them on one hand. Hall Spencer, Sean Tubbs, and Courtney Stewart. Nobody else. Okay. Hall I'm Spencer. Sure, I'm not sure what that has to do with the uh, And Hall Spencer, and, uh, Sean Tubbs, Hall Spencer, and Courtney Stewart are trying to report the news through AM radio and through a newspaper. We talk about stuff, and it stays in the news cycle. That's the responsibility you have now. We keep talking Tent Town and the other media coverages, outlets covered as well. And I think what's going to happen here is Sam Sanders may have set a very dangerous precedent. I'm going to throw it back to you. If he removes the curfew on Market Street Park, Lee Park, Emancipation Park, Freedom Park, why or how can the police or local government 
keep the homeless from setting up camps in Greenleaf Park, in McIntyre Park, in Azalea Park, Belmont Park, Greenbrier Park, Riverview Park, Forest Hills Park. If I set up a tent in Tonsler Park or Mead Park, and anyone tries to remove my tent from Tonsler Park or Mead Park, the first thing I'm going to do if I'm a homeless person sleeping in a tent is I'm going to say, you said it was okay in Market Street Park, why is it okay in Mead Park? And then you know what the police is going to have? They're going to have to ask themselves that question, and they're going to weigh the scales of justice. You know what? People can sleep in the park at Market Street Park. Star Hill Park is less than a mile away. Why can't they sleep in this park? And I think a bigger question, are we now the uh, police of the homeless population? And take it a step further. Sam Sanders neutering the police department by okaying this lifted curfew before the investigation was completed. That investigation, the body cam footage and Chief Cotches' press conference, is going to be tomorrow at 2 o'clock or 2.30 p.m. And it still has absolutely nothing to do with his decision. I, I'm not sure why he would... I, I, did, do we have 100% confirmation that his decision was based on the fact that there may have been... Yes, 100% okay. confirmation. I mean, 100% confirmation. Me, we know Sanders me, made this decision because someone spoke, an activist before city council, and said she allegedly saw a police officer kick somebody, a homeless person, to wake him up because it was curfew. Let me ask you a question. I sincerely mean this. This is a f fair question. If someone, if a police officer goes to a homeless man or a homeless woman that's sleeping in the park, and the curfew is 11 p.m., and that police officer says, sir or ma'am, you need to wake up. Sir or ma'am, you need to wake up. Sir or ma'am, you need to wake up. And does it repeatedly, a vocal order of wake up and go. And then nudges with their hand, sir or ma'am, you need to wake up. Sir or ma'am, you need to wake up. What's the next step to enforcing the curfew? To getting the person awake. And what we would all do. And do we know if that person was any kind of drug or drunkenness uh, stupor? Do we know? Everyone always likes to jump and leap to the worst case scenario when it comes to men and women wearing blue. They always want to leap to the worst case scenario. I'm curious to see what Cotches' investigation and press conference reveals and yields. Aren't you? Yeah. I think the police is doing a damn good job. Cotches has turned the image around. The George Clooney of police, and if he ran for mayor right now or city council, he would win. Tent Town. First stage of Whoville. Call me crazy. And all the homeless, you have roughly 100 beds. What is it, the Salvation Army? And is it the Salvation Army in Pacham that have the beds? I know the Salvation Army has 50. What's the other one? Is it Pacham that has another 50? Judah, there's roughly 100 cots or 100 beds for folks to sleep in. That are, that are homeless. Okay. 
We have over 300 documented houseless individuals and roughly 100 beds. So we're a couple hundred minimum short for this Charlottesville, Albemarle area. A couple hundred cots or beds short. How many tents you can think you think will fit in Market Street Park? Uh, if you're fitting them. And you know they're not going to be lined strategically to maximize efficiency. Yeah. I mean, if you're fitting them too, uh, cheek to jowl, oh, man, I mean, you could fit quite a few. Um, I, I mean, if you really tried to fill every square inch of grass with tents, I'm sure you could probably get uh, at least 100 in there. And if you do it inefficiently, 50? I mean, you can probably still get close to 100. I mean, I, 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 honestly, I honestly don't know, but uh, it depends on the tents. It depends on... Right, yeah. We'll split the difference and call it 75. You think 100, I say 50. Because they, they're not going to be lying efficiently next to each other side by side by side, like parking spaces. Folks are going to come in and set up their tent wherever they want. And they're going to claim their little 5 by 5 square as their personal residence. So very quickly, Market Street Park is going to be, reach maxima, maxima occupancy. And when Market Street Park reaches max, maximum occupancy, what's the next stage? Just from a common sense standpoint. Finding other parks. There you go. And if you find another park, what are you going to base your decision making on? They're not going to kick us out of one. Why would they kick us out, kick us out of the other? There you go. And what is that called? What is that called? Making a correlation. And we as humans make correlations every single damn day. They're not kicking us out of Market Street Park. Star Hill Park is less than a mile away. They're not, sh you know what? Forget that. I take that back. You know where the next tent town's going to shoot up, J-Dubs? McGuffey Park. You know why it's going to shoot up at McGuffey Park? Because it's close. Because it's right next to Market Street Park. You know why it's going to shoot up next to McGuffey Park? Because it's right next to, it's across from the Haven. And it's adjacent to half a dozen soup kitchens that provide free breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's right next to the downtown mall where there's free internet and electrical outlets to charge your devices left and right and foot traffic for panhandling purposes. McGuffey Park, that's the next tent town. And let me ask you a serious question. If two parks evolve into tent towns, is that not Hooverville or Charlottesville's Hooville? It's pretty close. I think it's... Uh... Tell us what Hooverville was again. Hooverville were... What, are we, what we're seeing here. Uh, tent towns. Uh, basically... Shack towns and homeless encampments for people that uh, lost their housing and their and their uh, employment. Tent town. It's the first stage of Hooverville, or Charlottesville's Hooville, and Hooville scares. $87 million Wells Fargo investments and $11 billion Amazon investments away from the city and its adjacent county, Albemarle. Housing shortage and housing affordability and the lack thereof scares 
$11 billion Amazon investments and $87 million Wells Fargo investments. 11% taxes on restaurant bills. Look at your bill next time you go out to a restaurant. 11% of what you're spending is nothing but taxes. Scares Amazon and Wells Fargo from investing into communities like ours because they know their employees. Wells Fargo, the 1,100 new jobs coming to Star City to Roanoke, the average, of those, the average wage of those jobs, 52 Gs, 52K. You think someone making 52K a year is going to be able to buy a house in Charles Fort Almore County right now? No. You think someone who's making 52K a year is going to be upset with an 11% tax on their restaurant bill because the meals tax is exorbitant and those taxes are going to the CACVB, the Charlottesville Almore Convention and Visitors Bureau, to build a brand for the community? How hard is the CACVB going to have to work to discount or to counter the narrative of Tent Town? Serious question for you. How hard or how much damage does Tent Town and Whoville do to the Charlottesville and Almoro County brand equity or goodwill established by the CACVB and the many small businesses in this community? Comments are coming in faster than I can keep up. Kevin Higgins and Kevin Yancey will get to your comments. Jason Howard, Travis Hackworth, and Cully Baggett. Cully Baggett, the developer, will in particular get to your comment. John Blair, Brian Yagel will get to your comments. Trey Barham will get to your comments. Every media outlet in this town watching Judah Wickhauer on this program right now, on the edge of their seats to hear what Judah Wickhauer has to say on the I Love Seville show. <laughs> give your tenants, give your viewers and listeners what they want. Give them what they want. Um, I mean, I think it's a, I, I think it's a shame. I think. Uh, I think with word getting out, we're going to have more of these people. We're going to have. I, we need to. I think we need to come up with a plan for now. Uh, city council needs to come up with a plan that involves some place where <clears throat> where homeless people have beds. Um, we need some kind of shelter because this is not going to fix itself. And as word gets out and time goes on. And there is no change to this new order. It's going to get harder and harder to move them out of the park. Uh, and there are going to be more and more of them. And we're going to end up with a major, major issue for the police when, uh, when Sam Sanders finally changes or rescinds this order. Judah Wickhauer, will you stand up? Will you go to the studio camera? Will you stand up? Hold on. Chest bump. Let's go. Make you a little uncomfortable. As Mark Blinkman says, take you out of your shell. That was, that was excellent. You see Judah blossoming on this program, ladies and gentlemen? I see him blossoming every day. You're 100% right. What happens if Tent Town turns into Tent Town 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and then you got Hooverville. And then Sam Sanders decides to pull the plug and says, this is no longer allowed. Police, clean it up. Then you got... Then you what do you see, get then? Well, then, you, then that's when you're going to see police brutality. And not, be, not, I think, because of anything inherent in the police, but because how do you move 
dozens of people out of a out of a park. How do you? Somebody's going to have to come in and say, "Look, you've got to leave." And I think there are going to be a lot of people that say no. And then, then you have a standoff. And then you have a perception management issue. Then you have a Richmond Times Dispatch and Washington Post story. Then you have the New York Times coming down the eastern seaboard to talk about the wealth gap, and the on, racial divide, honestly, and a clash of socioeconomic status problems. Honestly, I think Chief Cautious is, is too smart to get pulled into that trap, and I think he would probably just say, look, uh, you, let, you let them stay there. This is not our problem. This is something that you're going to have to figure out because we're not going to go in and start cracking heads uh, uh, you know, of a bunch of homeless people. That's not what the police are, are here for. Sam Sanders has villainized the homeless. He's put the homeless in an unable-to-win position. And you know who else he's put in an unable-to-win position? He's put the city of Charlottesville in a... The police and the city of Charlottesville. Sam Sanders has neutered the police department and removed their power to police a park. He's put the homeless into the new cycle of significant proportion. The large portion of this community is looking looking at them as villains when all they're trying to do is live and survive. Police can't do anything about it. They're catching backlash. A lot of people don't even realize that the police have been neutered by this decision-making. Sam Sanders' decision-making in this situation has lacked foresight and follows the mindset of not seeing the forest through the trees. Prove me wrong. It seemed to be very much a knee-jerk reaction. There you go. There you go. City Hall all over this show right now watching. I see it. I see the IP addresses and where they're congregated, City Hall. We appreciate you watching the show. Just saw Brian Haluska walk by the studio. We made some eye contact. Haluska, at one time, a fantastic sports writer under my watch with the Daily Progress, a fantastic stringer. Trey Barham says, I appreciate the Moneyball quote, Jerry. Brian Yeagle says, I love the I Love Seville Office version 3.0 across the sky bar was baller. John Blair says, Jerry, really good commentary on the housing land use issues in Charlottesville and Almoral. You're 100% correct. A big issue is that neither locality zones for economic development. Here's a story from six years ago of a business moving from Charlottesville and Almoral to Louisa. Why? Because of a lack of space to grow. And he's talking Patriot Aluminum and an article from the Central Virginian. Jason Howard wants Judah Wickhauer to do his best Field of Dreams impression and say, if you build it, they will come. And the, and the voice and tone and dialect of James Earl Jones, Judah, do not leave your viewers and listeners and your fans hanging. If you oh, build it, man. they will come as if you were James Earl Jones, will you do the impersonation, please? Uh, hold on, let me uh, let me listen to. Uh, <laughs> Don't play any audio that can be picked up on the I'm microphones not, that I'm pulls us off air. Gonna play it for myself. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Uh, if you build it, they will come. Hold on, <laughs> hold on, I'm listening. <laughs> Thank you.
oh my gosh, you're missing the moment already. Can you just give us the punchline? If you build it, they will come. No one could hear that, Judah. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, can that's you do it again? So I'm sitting across from you and I couldn't hear that. Can you do that again? But it's supposed to be a whisper. Okay, can you do it again? If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. If you give free breakfast, lunch, and dinner, free electrical and power sourcing device outlets, free internet, a library with air condition, and an eight-block mall with foot traffic for panhandling and fundraising purposes, if you build it, they will come. There's half a dozen organizations providing three meals a day. There's a eight-block pedestrian mall where folks can shake down for money. Outlets all over the pedestrian mall and free internet in a library that allows folks to stay in it for hours. If you build it, they will come. David Trecarici at Skuma Boutique Dispensary spends $160,000 a year of company revenue for an armed guard at Skuma to give his customers a feeling of safety, in part because of aggressive panhandling, mental health issues, drug use issues, and alcohol issues by those loitering outside the store and on the mall. Think about that. Mm -hmm. That is bananas. That is a boatload of money, is it not? That is a lot of money. If you build it, they will come. Michael Buchensky, Coach B, says, Democrat-run cities slowly devolve into this. It's a catch-22 in that they want to help people, i.e. the homeless, but there is no real plan. It just removes laws, and they hope for the best. He also asks if we can get Glenn Youngkin involved to help solve this issue. Cully Baggett, the developer, says, Green County was being considered for the Amazon site. I'm not sure how we missed out on this in green. Do you know how these decisions were made? I would think every local municipality would have been biting at the bit to earn this business. I can explain how, offer a snapshot. Louisa County, I got some good buddies on the Board of Supervisors, did a fantastic job of economic development in showcasing the potential of Louisa from a land use standpoint, from a zoning standpoint, from the opportunity to build two data centers, two campuses for Amazon within Louisa, the affordability of housing, the proximity to the interstate, the proximity to Richmond, the proximity to Charlottesville, and the fact that Louisa in Central Virginia may be the most affordable from a cost of living standpoint in the region. You throw Buckingham in there as well. Michael Buczynski says, the quote is, if you build it, he will come. Oh, man. Shoeless Joe Jackson. The 2023 version of Shoeless Joe Jackson is literally dozens of people without shoes in Market Street Park. That may have been a bit unfair and a bit of lacking empathy, and I apologize. Travis Hackworth sending me DMs from Danville. This is a long one here. 
He said, Danville just recently passed an ordinance to address homelessness. He said, the background, the city is responsible for managing public streets, sidewalks, and other public property within the boundaries of the city. This duty includes keeping streets and sidewalks open and free from potential obstructions that could cause injury, as well as preventing misuse of and damage to public property that can jeopardize the health, safety, and general welfare of the public. A potential source of public property obstruction, misuse, and damage in outdoor camping and unpermitted areas. The cities of Roanoke and Bristol passed ordinances to prohibit camping on public property in unpermitted locations last year. Danville, passing a similar ordinance, would give the police and other city staff tools to prevent potential issues related to unpermitted camping, including street and sidewalk obstructions, as well as damage to city property and dangerous conditions faced by unpermitted campers. This proposed ordinance in Danville would also require any police officer enforcing the ordinance to provide information on available shelters and other forms of assistance available to persons in need. This information would be printed on ticket books and could easily be given out to help direct persons in need to safe facilities. Recently, the city of Danville hired a consultant to provide recommendations on how to best address homelessness. Staff is working with outside partners to evaluate the recommendations and determine next steps. This is not unique to Charlottesville City. It's just Charlottesville City, unlike what Danville has done, Unlike what Roanoke has done, unlike what Bristol has done, the city of Charlottesville says, if you build it, they will come. Is Sam Sanders, Sam Sanders is to Charlottesville, what James Earl Jones is to Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Rory Stolzenberg is on the October 5th edition of the I Love Seville show, planning commissioner. Tony Elliott names Tony Musket the starting quarterback and does not ride the hot hand of Anthony Calandria, who's on the brink of rewriting the freshman quarterback record books at the University of Virginia. Tony Elliott choosing to start Tony Musket over Anthony Calandria. Is this the early stages of Anthony Calandria jumping in the transfer portal and parlaying a first year of fantastic performance into a bigger program in Florida? He's from St. Petersburg, and now Anthony Calandria, the 18-year-old, is on the radar of every college football program in the Sunshine State. What is Tony Elliott doing? What is Tony Elliott doing? He's won three games in a year and a half and very well could go with a bagel in the win column in 2023. Where are the victories? Maybe Boston College on Saturday. The Eagles are a three-point favorite as of yesterday. Where are the victories? Maybe William and Mary the following week. The Tribe look at the UVA football matchup as their Super Bowl, and the Tribe are damn good. Where are the victories on the schedule? Show them to me. If the man wins one or two games, or hell, if he loses all his games in 2023 and his star quarterback chooses to transfer after the first year because he's disrespected, 
Is that enough ammunition to make a coaching change? If you build it, they will come. Judah Wickhauer, your many fans, your viewers and listeners, and the media outlets watching you on this fine and fair talk show want some closing thoughts from you. Well, I think we need to do something sooner rather than later. This is only going to this is only going to expand. They're going to be more tense. They're going to be more. Hopefully, um, hopefully I'm wrong, but there will be more um, fights, scuffles. Uh, I hope there aren't more stabbings in the park. Um, but I think the more people you put in there, the more uh, tensions are going to rise. Um, there's a large roll of toilet paper hanging from one of the trees, um, one of the smaller trees. And we collectively need to come up with, we actually need to come up with a solution to this, not just kicking them out of the park. We need to figure out what we're going to do about the homeless population because they're not, they're not going to leave. And uh, I think we can all agree that we want, you know, we want the best for them. We don't want, you know, we don't want them out in the cold. Uh, and it will be getting colder. It's almost October. Um, we need to start coming up with a solution for this. Uh, we need a we need a shelter for the the homeless population. Vanessa Park Hill, Queen of Earliesville. There's a huge shelter in Washington Park on top of the hill near the swimming pool. I'm surprised folks have not taken up residence there yet. We love the Queen of Earliesville, Vanessa Park Hill. Jason Howard on Rio Road. I feel for the restaurants. They are already facing pressure from people whose patterns changed during the pandemic, during the lockdown. The folks who bought smokers and air fryers and other things are now cooking at home four nights per week. Food trucks that have lower overhead can move from location to location. And now there is one more deterrent to getting foot traffic to the downtown mall, Tent Town. Jason Howard also asked this question. In regards to canceling the curfew, how strong are the city manager's powers on city property? Can they declare a curfew on the downtown mall? Can they decide to change parking rules, make every space on water or Main Street one hour only, or no parking delivery only? What is the extent of the changes the city manager can make without consulting the council or having laws change? City manager has a lot of power. And he's the CEO of the city with the board of directors being city council who manage the city manager. But the city council does not get into day-to-day -day operations unless they feel the city manager is unfit to manage or run day-to-day -day operations. City manager can do a lot of stuff. City manager could have chose to, to uh, create those... Um, turn parking spaces into outside eating options for restaurants. That was not done during the pandemic. A lot of power the city manager has. I got a programming note for the viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show. This gentleman's going on a nearly cross-country excursion to Minnesota for a family affair. Minnesota. Minnesota. He leaves tomorrow. I'm going to take a break and energize the battery and spend time with my wife and our two boys. Maybe getting a little uh, beach action in the mix. 
We are going to be off air on the I Love Seville Network with all programming through Wednesday of next week. We will return to the I Love Seville show on Thursday of next week after recharging our batteries. We work our tails off, a much-needed respite. After this show and when I sign off today, all programming will take a hiatus until Thursday, October 5th, when today Minana launches at 10.15 a.m., and when the I Love Seville show goes on air at 12.30 p.m. He's going to recharge his battery. I'm going to spend time with my family after, after clocking 70 to 80 hours a week for God knows how long. And you know what? We've earned this. The businesses are humming. And when I come back on Thursday, October 5th, I'm going to come back with Rory Stolzenberg, a planning commissioner for Charlottesville City, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to come back with a breaking news story that I have in my pocket ready to go that no one knows about. I have a story of monumental proportions. And that in the business is called a, called a tease. This is the I Love Seville show on the I Love Seville network. The water cooler of conversation, the water cooler of news, the epicenter of chitter chatter in a 300,000 person market. Judah Wickhauer, a star in the making. My name is Jerry Miller. We will see you on Thursday, October 5th. Take care.